Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Lamentations 3. We're going to take half the chapter. And last Sunday we had the message titled Sin Destroys, and it does. You know, I gave some examples of my past and things that I had done that just put me in a bad place socially and in a lot of ways financially, etc. And we're dealing with the children of Israel and, you know, this wayward path that they took and uh, how it affected them negatively. Um, A war ensues. The Babylonians come and they besiege the city for over a year and they finally get in and it's just horrifying. You know, God warned them through the prophets they didn't listen. Uh, And sometimes we don't listen. And hopefully we get to the point where there's a maturity and we look back and we can just say, well, that's a testimony. It's my old life. You know, now I'm really close to God and, and things are different. It doesn't mean we're perfect and we don't sin, but it just means that we're on the right path. And we pray for a lot of people who are not on the right path. Uh, This morning, the message is titled Turning the Corner. So this book is, uh, when you read it in its totality, it's a little sad about the things that are going on. But Jeremiah gets to the place where he speaks about the sadness and the aftermath, but then he turns the corner, right? And, you know, again, you can make a personal application with that. So there is the hope of God. There's the love of God. There's the faith. Uh, God's always there waiting for us. It's just he's given us free will and it's just for every person's decision, at what point, if at all, they'll turn to God and start to follow him. So we're going to look at this in two parts. As a little sidebar, we do. We've been starting to do this since Romans. We, I go into the creation, you know, plants, animals, different things that God's created, and just into some great detail, just to kind of show you that uh, God is just a, a master of what he does. When I did the giraffe, I thought, well, this is going to be my favorite animal. Well, this morning, <laughs> I think I'm going to change my mind because of the intricacies of the chameleon. Right? We even use that in our vernacular if somebody acts as a chameleon. So the chameleon, they're kind of weird looking. You know, they have eyes that they kind of go in different directions. They, they, they're independent. If we did that, it, it would like throw off the whole picture of our vision, but they figure it out. They have prehensile tails. Their tails uh, can act like a hand with grasping, and um, they also have an extrudable tongue. Perhaps the most amazing thing about the chameleon, of course you know, is their ability to camouflage. So we're going to show a video of a person putting different colored glasses, and the chameleon looks at them and keeps changing colors to match the glasses. Oh, it gets better. (laughs) Now... How does this happen? Well, you've got to understand their multi-layers of skin. Uh, Primitive thinking used to be that, well, they just have pigments that they change, like mixing paints at the paint store. It's actually more fantastic than that. At the very deep level in their skin, they have what's called guanine nanocrystals. I had to do a lot of memorization for this. (laughs) And guanine, we know, is a nucleobase found in the double helix in the DNA strand. Right, um, guanine goes with cytosine, and adenine goes with thymine. 
and they just keep pairing and going up the double helix and they make the genetic information. So the cool thing about these guanine nanocrystals is they're sort of like prismatic, how they reflect the light, refract the light. And what the chameleon does is with their eyes, they look at the color, sends a signal to the brain. The brain sends a signal to the skin to react accordingly. And what happens is these nanocrystals, there's probably thousands if not more of them in their skin, they get excited and they move apart or they start to change uh, shift directions. And based on that shifting direction is how they reflect light and how, what the color is that you see. So color is actually an illusion. When you look at color, look, mine, I'm very colorful today. Uh, you see different fabrics, different things that reflect the light in a certain way. Thus, you perceive color. So the, I'm trying to think about this. The shorter wavelength color is responsible for your blue, indigo, violet, and green. And your longer wavelength, right, when they get really excited and the crystals move and the wavelengths are lo longer and larger, they get their oranges, their reds, and their yellows. And this happens all the time for them to be able to do this. Now, they do it to camouflage, but they also do it to communicate with each other. They also do it for thermoregulation. So if it's a really hot day and they want to keep cool, they'll make their skin lighter to reflect the sun's energy. If it's a really cold day and they want to absorb that heat, they'll make their skin very dark to be able to absorb the sun's energy and heat them up. Isn't that cool? All right. I mean, this is just because actually, uh, and again, white is the reflection of all color and black is the absorption of all color and the rest in the electromagnetic spectrum uh, electromagnetic wavelengths are depending on which light waves are reflected. So the last thing about them is they can change their color based on mood. Remember the old mood rings? <laughs> we all realized really quickly that the mood rings really were based on the temperature of your body, right? You're like, this is a ripoff, <laughs> you know? But the, the, but the chameleon will change his or her colors based on their moods and what kind of signal they're able to send to the other creatures. Isn't that fascinating? So there you have it, the chameleon. All right. They're clapping for you, cutie. Okay, so um, we're going to jump in in Lamentations 3, starting with verse 1. This has to be taken in a big chunk. This is part one. There's only two parts. We're, we're only covering half the chapter. Jeremiah, he says, I am, the man who is, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Speaking of God, he has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me, surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people in their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness and made me drink wormwood. 
He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. So one attitude is Jeremiah's cry of despair. Now remember, he's one of the good guys. Is he being insolent? Well, let's talk about what's going on at the time. So we can understand this. The Bible always has to be read in context. Jeremiah is a prophet. He's a good prophet. He's a representative of the people. But he's also representing God to the people. He's an intercessor. And he is partaking in the emotional burden of the city. Remember, this is the aftermath of a horrible war where just seeing things burned, people lying in the streets, um, you know, you, I'm sure if you follow any of this stuff, even in modern times, you can see when a city is besieged and eventually the enemy gets in. So he's partaking in that emotional burden. This isn't a dissociated uh, ministry person who doesn't care about the people he represents. He cares. And again, he's one of the good guys. He could say, hey, I'm not associated with you. God's ticked off at you. You guys brought this on yourself. He is part of the community, Right. Part of just like Moses was, you know, he took personal um, emotion and responsibility in that community that he represented. So, we're going to talk more about this. There's a debate among scholars whether these were Jeremiah's experiences or Jerusalem personified. Remember, we talked about that if you've been with us through the book. Um, Jerusalem's personified as if it was a person, it cries out, it talks about things as, as if the city could speak. And it's all for the theologians. They argue about what versus what. It doesn't really matter. What's really important is how you get the gist of what's being said here. And folks, all of us have been through trials. And as we start to read this, there are certain things that I read, right? If we're listening with our ears, right, or listening with our hearts, we'll be able to identify with some of these things, even though it's happened thousands of years ago. We could look at our lives and see some of the difficulties and feel like he feels. Are all these literal? No. Did God actually sit there with a bow and arrow and plink arrows at him and tie him to the target? No. Did he put big chains over him and make him carry him? No. Right? This is, these are metaphors as we go through this. So let's go through it. Verse 1 through 3. This trial, this difficulty, Jeremiah felt like he was abandoned. He feels like he's groping in the darkness. He speaks about darkness right? He could be speaking about darkness at 12 o'clock, at three o'clock in the afternoon when it's fully light, but it's, it's an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing that he's dealing with. I have to tell you this. Um, I felt like this. I'm going to put myself in here. You know, some of these things I felt time to time in my Christian walk. Uh, but I got to tell you when things are the worst, the trials are the worst, I find myself the closest to God. You have a relationship with God. You know, it's just like somebody that cares for you, somebody who could protect you, somebody who can help you. When things get really bad, you want to be really close to that person. So it's no different with God. Verses 4 through 6, he describes being aged by trials. How many of you have felt like that? (laughs) You know, we go through trials and we feel this is really aging me. We feel that some of our vibrance is taken away. We can become bitter at times. We become weary. For those of you that are young and resilient, it'll catch up to you, you know? 
Uh, verse 7 through 9, it felt like there was a heavy chain. It was burdensome. He felt as if his prayers weren't being answered. Sometimes God says no in prayer. Sometimes God says wait. Like we, we want the yes and the yes right away, and it makes us feel good. That's what the prosperity gospel teaches, but it's not reality. You know, a real, even a relationship with someone that you love uh, on this earth, you always get the answer that you want all the time? No, of course not. We think differently, and God's ways are higher than our ways. So good things were going to happen, but it was going to take time. Verse 10 through 12, the feeling goes even further. Jeremiah describes feeling like helpless prey to God's ambush, right? Is God a bear that attacks him? No, he's not. But he, he's trying to express different aspects of this, this grieving process that he's going through, right? When we did our skit, Romans 8 tells us that nothing, nobody can separate us from the love of God, period, now, one day we'll be in his presence and I believe we'll have a complete understanding of the things we didn't understand while we were here. This, does, this is not our utopia. This doesn't last forever, but his kingdom does last forever. So nothing can separate us from the love of God. Keep that in mind if you're going through something this morning. Verses 13 through 15. The trial caused feelings of being ridiculed and taunted. Now, that's interesting because um, we look at Jeremiah. I know me, I read Jeremiah, and I'm thinking, boy, that guy handled it well. I've studied wars over the years, and I know what happens in war. I've seen pictures. And I think to myself, this guy is awesome. They call him the weeping prophet. He's compassionate. But at the same time, he handles it well. That's my opinion of him. His opinion of him at the time was, I'm falling apart. And we can go through that, can't we? It's really a perspective check. When we go through trials, we, we isolate, right? The Bible says that we should be closer to each other, but I always find somebody in stop and shop or whatever, and, and they're going through a hard time. And I'm like, oh, come back to church. You know, I end up talking to them in the produce aisle or something. But, uh, you know, we, we have this thing emotionally where we just want to be left alone. But what we really need is the companionship of other solid believers, so we feel isolated or we isolate ourselves. We feel like we're in a storm. We feel like we're a failure. Another thing that happens is paranoia sets in. You ever have paranoia come over you? You almost think that if somebody looks at you, they're immediately going to know something's wrong. It's, it's, it's a lie from the enemy. And it keeps us isolated from those that we should be close to. So these things start to set in. And these are important you know, sometimes the word, and I've heard it, I feel like a loser. You're not a loser. You're just going through a difficult time. Have I thought these things personally as your pastor? Yeah, I have. But as Jeremiah turned the corner, I also had to turn the corner. And that's where we need to be. So we can feel these things. It's okay. Some people think, oh, I can't tell anybody because they're going to judge me. You're allowed to feel these things, Right. So do we, do we hide from people because we're afraid to be... And that's sad if that's been your experience. I feel for you. I have empathy. And there are some people that call themselves Christians that aren't very compassionate. And that gives the church as an organization a bad name. I mean, I've opened up my office. We, in all of our offices, we have boxes of tissues. That's definitely, you know, one of the things we have to have in our offices. And people have shouted. They've been in anger. They've curse words come out here and there. I don't judge them. I know that they're going through. I'm not going to sit there and, and, 
you know, control their grieving process. Just let it out. I was a cop for 25 years. I heard worse. Trust me. Oh, oh oops. They go, oops. No, just say what you need to say. You know, let's, let's talk about this. And then let's talk about the solution. Verse 18, he says, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. How many of you felt this way? I'm, I'm not asking, you could raise your hand if it's therapeutic. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but you know, we felt this way. My strength and my hope, my, it's been sapped from me. I feel a disconnect and estrangement from God. Now check this out. It's what we see here is not Jeremiah being insolent. He's just being honest. Boy, if you can't be honest with God, what can you be? So we do, you know, we get into, you know, you sit there in the car, you're taking a walk down the street and you just pour your heart out to God. He's not going to zap you. He understands. He understands how you feel. He understands your makeup. Uh, so, you know, we, we pour out our heart to the Lord. And Jeremiah is being honest with God here. This isn't scripture. It's not like God said, we got to get rid of this. <laughs> Nobody can, we got to destroy the evidence. People have been reading this for thousands of years and it's ministered to them. Sometimes there is an element of when you see somebody else going through something that maybe you, person that you respect, you feel a little bit more at ease. I mean, these are all behavioral, if you're in the behavioral sciences, these are all very interesting precepts in the scripture that's carried out even today by those in the professional field. So, this is, this is where he is. Um, he's feeling, I forgot my place. I got so excited, I forgot my place. See, I'm not perfect either. Uh, <laughs> so, we, to be honest with God, letting it all out. Before we get to the upturn here, you know, it's funny when you study for a message and you're praying and it's like God kind of leads you in a direction and you're like, well, I never thought of going there. Actually, I was talking to one of my elders, the elder of the children's ministry, Bill Beaton, and we had a really good discussion about the message. I talked about the vagus nerve and the connection between the, the gut and the brain and how things work out. Actually, I feel led to go a little bit deeper in this. Actually, I, all these years, I didn't know that Bill was a bio major. How many bio majors in here? Bio, biology. I love biology. I know you, you, you just don't want to raise your hand. I know psych majors, uh, mental health profession. I know I got a lot of you here, so you're going you're gonna to suck this up. This is going to be pretty good. Let's talk about the emotions. Let's talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. This would have been something that the people were going through. Now, in the Vietnam days, they used to call it shell shock. The, the mines um, receiving trauma from the, the constant mortars, the explosion, the lack of sleep. So our men and women coming back, they would call it shell shock, but they've changed it. Now they call it post-traumatic stress disorder. And here's the reason. It doesn't just affect soldiers. Somebody could be, have a, a, a past of molestation. Somebody could be a victim of a violent crime or lose a loved one very quickly. Um, something that they're not ready for and the mind is experiencing a trauma and everybody has a different threshold for trauma. So when we look at this, we see the inhabitants of this city watching their walls being torn down day by day for over a year, uh, enemy soldiers getting in, Soldiers dying in the street, all this kind of stuff. 
And people who, you know, during World War II, there's so many displaced persons back and forth, the East and the West, between the, the communists and the Nazis and the allies. It was terrible. And they experienced this. And even when they were safe, they didn't necessarily feel safe. They still had nightmares. So this can affect a lot of people. Now, there is, okay, <laughs> there's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. The body has to defend itself, the organism. And check this out. This just happens. God has wired this into our central nervous system. The body releases cortisol. It releases adrenaline. You're either fighting the threat or you're fleeing. That's the sympathetic nervous system. It shuts off digestion. There's a lot of things that it does. Uh, fine, lose the fine motor skills. The parasympathetic nervous system is the counterpart. The parasympathetic nervous system helps you to stay alive because in an extended state of sympathetic nervous system response, you'll die one way or the other. Uh, you also may go insane. You may have a heart attack. You may have a, an aneurysm. There's a lot of th different things from the body at such a high speed going that long. So the parasympathetic nervous system is the counterpart. This is where PTSD comes in, in that, in that we say fight or flight, but we're missing something. It's fight, flight, really, or freeze. So the parasympathetic nervous system can be much more powerful, believe it or not, than the sympathetic nervous system, and it can cause a situation where it shuts the body and the brain down, and the person's almost catatonic. And again, they might have experienced something, and I, again, as a, as a police officer, I, I would see this with crime victims, and it... We would have to get them safe. We would have to remove them from that environment we would, before they actually could even speak to us. So there's a few things that go on here. There's the, the dorsal vagal complex and the ventral vagal complex. And they're known as the dorsal vagal complex is known as the emergency brake to shut things down. The ventral vagal complex is known as the brake to pump the brakes. The ventral vagal complex uh, does affect social skills, communication, and interactions. But when the dorsal vagal complex shuts everything down in the body and we freeze, what happens is we start to lose the social skills. So all this stuff makes sense. This affects the limbic system, the amygdala and the hippocampus and the brain. Um, that affects emotions and memories. So this is what you get. You get a person. Oh, why are you talking about this, Pastor Joe? Uh, I hope you had your carbohydrates. I hope you had, you know, some B-complex because we're going back to bio. Uh, because the Bible expresses things that we also deal with. It doesn't matter how many thousands of years ago. We're still humans. Now, Jeremiah and the personification of the city, you can see some fragmented Thoughts and maybe things that were more uh, pronounced than actually were true, but it's from their perception. Understand? When these things type happen, um, fight or flight, right? You have the uh, dorsal vagal complex shuts down the sympathetic nervous system, freezing, blacking out, fragmented and dissociated memories. Fragment. This is like you know the circuit breaker in your home. When there's an overload and there's too much amperage because there's a short, the house could burn down. So what happens is the circuit breaker is designed to snap and cause what's called an open circuit. 
to stop the flow of electricity. This is similar thing that happens. So people who have experienced these things, even when they get better and they go through therapy, they remember things fragmented. Because remember, the memory, the emotions, certain memories cause an emotional response. Um, Then there's things like polyvagal theory. And the one thing was eye movement desensitization therapy. What you're doing is, for a person who has that, and these are really neat treatments, the therapist is bringing the person into the present because something bad happened in the past. Uh, Soldiers have these dogs that are trained that when they have nightmares, the dog immediately wakes the soldier up out of the nightmare and is very affectionate. And even if the soldier is in bed trying to push the dog away, the dog persists. It reminds the soldier that you're not there anymore. You're here. Pet therapy, right? So, you know, maybe I'm going a little bit too far with all the, um, with all the technical terms, but ask my wife. When I start reading this, she's like, you're still studying? I'm like, this stuff is fascinating, you know? She's like, poly- she's, she heard all morning, uh, dorsal vagal complex, ventral vagal complex, polyvagal. She goes, oh, just go to church. So, I get manic sometimes. So, all right. I, I think where I want to go with this is, is that on, when you are in the midst of the storm, you don't see things clearly. When I'm in the midst of the storm, I don't see things clearly. Whether it's PTSD or a trauma or just a really bad emotional time, sometimes people get thoughts of suicide. So I want to, I think where I'm trying to go with this is if you're here this morning and you're in the midst of one of these storms, let me tell you something. It is no coincidence that you're here this morning. I don't talk about this stuff often. Get help, please. And I will tell you this, that you will be missed. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. Um, I, I read about suicides. It's, it's a cuts across all demographics. It's in professions, it's in men, it's in women, it's in young people now. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to lose somebody. So if you're thinking, my life isn't worth anything, trust me, it is. There are going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to miss you deeply. You just can't see it right now. So I just would encourage you to get help. Now, the God component is awesome because it's an extra piece to the puzzle, because you can always come back to something. You might have, and I know people like this. Listen, I come from a broken home. I know people that uh, say, well, nobody cares about me. I come from a broken home. Um, I've been jilted by the person that I thought I loved and I trusted. Uh, but nobody cares about me. When you know the Lord, you know that the Lord cares about you. So I can even look back at my life and say, I can use that now as a testimony to help other people. And I have been able to, and I love that. And then I, you know, I used to wonder why I was going through such hard things. And I kind of feel like the Lord said to me, so I can make you more compassionate because you're not to make you more empathetic. And I I see that I never want to go back there, but it's, it's useful and it's helpful to help other people. And that's what God does. He, he doesn't torment us, but he can use something that's negative, make a positive out of it and help us to help each other. And that's really discipleship. And that's really the way a church should run. Pretty neat, huh? 21. Let's look at the other side of the coin here. So you would almost think somebody else wrote the rest of this, but it's Jeremiah. 
He says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Everything going forward. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief. Yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisons of the earth, to turn aside the justice to a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause. The Lord does not approve. So two is the rebound, Jeremiah's confession of faith. This is when he comes from feelings to truth, to reality. And I'll be the first one to admit, when you're in an emotional firestorm, you know, you, you know what the truth is, but you're, you're operating in dysfunction. And that's why I say to people, when you're going through some type of major life's trial, don't make a big decision. Don't make a big financial decision. Don't make a big relationship decision because it's going to distort. And for the, especially for you young people, you have your whole life ahead of you. Choices are very important. Sometimes we make the wrong choices and put ourselves in, dig, dig a deeper hole. So he comes, and again, the feelings can be so strong in our body. They, they affect our stomach, our digestive system, our heart rate, our breathing rate. So to actually move towards the truth can be, uh, you know, a feat in itself. And that's what he's doing. People say, oh, look, a discrepancy. Well, it couldn't have been the same guy who wrote it. Yeah, it was. It was the same guy who got it all out, who waited on the Lord, and who turned the corner and now started living in facts, faith, and truth, and God's word, and not in his feelings. This is why it's important for this extra layer of understanding. Verses 23 through 24, he basically says, regardless of how we feel, we are not consumed. And it's because the the Lord's mercies are there, even in difficult times. His mercies, his compassion are new every morning. You ever hear the expression, sleep on it? Sometimes it's good to sleep on it. Maybe a few nights, maybe a few weeks. Right? Because we're, it's, a, it's a big decision. And we're, we're thinking a certain way, and that's really not who we are. And I got to tell you, even after having a rough day, just going to sleep, <laughs> and then waking up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> I remember what happened yesterday. I'm like, eh, I slept on it. So there's something about what he's saying here. Even when God is disciplining, he's still compassionate. And again, it didn't need to look like this. Had they listened to the true prophets instead of listening to the false prophets, the aftermath of the war wouldn't have been actually as bad. God would have totally protected them. But they just kept resisting the Babylonian army and it built up a great resentment. Uh, and God was right. Jeremiah was right, but they didn't listen. I'll tell you this as well. We, we hope for things in God, but God also holds out hope for the rebellious to repent, to turn, to come to him in their free will. Sometimes we get frustrated and, and we 
it's just, it's just honesty. It goes on. It could be days, months, years, and we start to forget to pray for that person. We've almost given up, but God never gives up. He never gives up on us, and he never gives up on that person who we think they'll never come to him. So keep that in mind. He says, the Lord is my portion. That word portion can be translated inheritance or allotment. Now, this is really cool because, because usually with an inheritance, you, you're going to get something. Back in those days, you know, when the person would die, they had sort of a will. The firstborn would get usually more. Um, and you were sitting there waiting to get something, some goats, some sheep, some gold, whatever they had. He's saying, the Lord is my inheritance. Kind of goes to show you that to have God is so much more important than have stuff in the world. You know, um, just so many times a person passes, their house is filled with stuff. And stuff that they might not have used in 20 or 30 years. The stuff stays here. But if you're a believer in Christ, you go to be with God. Wow, talk about an inheritance. You can't take that stuff, physical stuff, with you. But now you got God. So every possible need is met. Every want, every desire, everything that's, that's uh, and according to his will is met in the heavenlies. We belong to God, but if I could say this without being blasphemous, let me say this in a relationship and loving way. God belongs to us because we have a relationship with him. That's amazing. That is just really amazing. For new Christians, it's a learning curve. But when you've been a Christian for a while, you know that everything you do, he's there. He's waiting. Verse 25 through 27 And then uh, there's not much more I'm going to go through because I want to save the rest for next Sunday. This is the right attitude. Now, I'm not a big fan of, I don't know, maybe the NLT or some of these paraphrased Bibles, only because you're getting someone else's opinion. However, in some of these rough portions of Scripture, it's good to read them because it's almost like what I do up here. Well, in other words, this, this, and this, and you go, oh, okay, you made it more understandable for me. So if you, if you read the Bible on your own, especially some, some of the things in dirge poetry in the Old Testament, get yourself a paraphrased Bible. That's not one of the real new ones because they're a little wonky, but and I can help you with that. It, the person kind of paraphrases it for you so you can get through those sticking points. Remember, this is written in another language. It's another culture, customs, figures of speech, colloquialisms. That's, that's my job up here. Okay, so the right attitude, seeking God and waiting for him. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, now God, speaking through Jeremiah, says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search me with all your heart. And that's important because some people say, well, I'll try God. Well, this isn't working. I tried the casinos. I tried this. I tried the get rich quick scheme. So I'm going to try God. I hate to tell you that's not seeking God with all your heart. God... When you seek God, you really have to have that desire to have a relation, a long-term relationship with him. Verse 27, I got a little stuck on this, but it's interesting. It is good for a man to bear the oak in his youth, which seems to indicate that it's better to learn hard lessons while you're young. Right? If we're still 
living in dysfunction and we're in our 60s and 70s, life is going to just become a lot more difficult. So the, the, the city had a lot to learn. They had a lot to, to correct about what they were doing wrong. 28 through 30, waiting quietly, being still, enduring, sitting alone. Now, these can be difficult because when we're hot emotionally, sometimes we tend to go on Facebook or pick up the phone and start just railing and just vomiting all over people. And then we look back and we say, yeah, I really shouldn't have done that. So what what he's trying to say here is when we go through these turbulent times to seek God first. Seek God first, especially if it's somebody else. And this is the sad thing, even, and I've seen Christians do it. Um, they get mad and they just start gossiping about a bunch of people. And then the situation resolves itself. Then they feel bad, like all that damage. It, it, how do you undo it? So God's word is, is definitely the right way to do it. Uh, to, give, to give the cheek. Uh, this, this is different from when Jesus gave his cheek because Jesus had to go to the cross and it was different. He was God. He didn't sin. This indicates a accepting the situation for what it is and then trying to move on from there. Instead of still, the Babylonians are in. They're still resisting, still resisting. There's going to be nobody left in the city if you guys keep doing this. So verse 31 through 33, he doesn't willingly afflict. God doesn't do it happily. And again, it, w- could, it wouldn't have been that severe had they just listened the first time. Actually, they should have listened for years. So this wasn't like God said, you shouldn't do this. You're going to hurt yourself. And just one warning, and that was the end of it. It wasn't like that. This went on for a long time. And he will not cast off forever. The season of difficulty will eventually pass. I tell you, when when someone's going through something that's really bad, um, sometimes the best thing we could do is just be a good listener. Just just not look at the clock. Just sit and just let them go and go and go and just get it all out. And we can offer some pithy scriptural principles, but the bottom line is it's, it's not going to last forever. This season will pass. Verses 34 through 36. This is even in God's punishment, he's fair and just. And this, he's speaking about in, in opposition to the, a perversion of justice that people mete out. In other words, if you remember when David sins grievously, you know, the murder and all the things that David did, and he finally came to his senses and repented, and God, I believe through the prophet, uh, offered him three different types of pick your own punishment, and pick, pick the thing that you have to submit to. And two of them had to do with people. And one had to do with God. And David said, you know, I don't really trust people that much. Lord, I'd rather just let you make the decision and, and I'll, I'll live with that. Um, yeah. So when you go through a difficult time, try to find people that you can trust. I mean, that only makes sense. And I hate to say this. Not everybody in every church will keep your confidence. And a lot of you have experienced that. I know I have. Um, loose li- lips sink ships. So, you know, just make sure the people that you're telling, the two or three people, like the whole church and the whole state won't know about it by the time the day is over. So be wise in how you share your information. And it just goes for young people too. You know, they, you, you tell somebody something in confidence and it's all over Facebook. That's, 
you know, people have committed suicide over that. Just, they just bombarded with their most personal things that were just shared with everybody who could be on Facebook or social media. Or what. That's horrible when people do that. That's disgusting, by the way. It's, it's mean. Um, shouldn't come from anybody who calls themselves a Christian, certainly. So, turning the, the corner. Turning the corner. The beauty in this, and, and I'm always the person who tries to find the silver, silver lining, is through all this difficulty, Jeremiah turns a corner in his mind. And he expresses that on paper. The first 20 verses were things that he felt but didn't reflect reality. And some of them were such metaphors that it was obvious that it didn't reflect reality. But he turns a corner and he understands and he's remembered. This comes to my mind, he tells us. He remembers the goodness of God. Even in Job, Job said that Pastor Paul's doing a great job with Job on Wednesday nights, you know, though he, and he didn't know why he was going through this trial. And he just took a stab in the dark, you know, so though he slay me, he said, you know, he's still going to, still going to follow the Lord, you know, and that's where we have to be. So I want to read a few, just one verse or three verses in Matthew 11 before we close Matthew 11. And this is why I want to encourage you, especially if you're going through something, you don't know the Lord, what Jesus offers. I I studied this when I went through the, the gospel of Matthew And this has an an emotional component to it where Jesus isn't saying, well, I'm just going to be concerned with your spirit. He's concerned with all of us. He's concerned with our feelings, what we're going through, how we're processing things. He says in Matthew 11, 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's not talking about a bunch of people walking around with backpacks. He's speaking about those who are burdened. Life can burden us depending on what we go through. Emotionally, spiritually, definitely spiritually. He wants us all to go to heaven. But there's an emotional component to this. I will give you rest. And a lot of people today are walking the earth looking for rest because they don't have it. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm not going to hurt you whether it's a a person or maybe an animal that's been abused, uh, a child, they're they're very reticent to be near strangers. You put your hand out to to love them and they're, because this is a cruel world. So he says, he's letting everybody know, the son of God, he goes, I am gentle, I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'm not going to hurt you. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, he leaves with this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Almost sounds like an oxymoron, a light burden. Isn't a burden supposed to be heavy? But what Jesus is saying, you come to him and he's going he's gonna to change that. And you're going to have that extra component of having a relationship with the living God. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields 
by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.